Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Ted Quartler, Field CTO of Generative AI at DataRobot. DataRobot is an AI-powered software company that helps enterprises automate processes from end to end. Ted returns to the platform in conversation with Emerge CEO and head of research Daniel Fagella to examine what challenges for software development teams look like from the perspective of leadership. Later, Ted offers actionable insight on handling pushback on goals, assigning team members based on data verified skills rather than work politics, and planning future initiatives. Without further ado, here's their conversation. So, Ted, welcome back. It's been a little bit. How are you? I'm great, Dan. Thanks for having me. It has been a while. For sure. Yeah, man. It's It was fun to be able to catch you in person. And now I've got a great excuse to bring you on for a topic that I just knew you'd be the man for. So in this case, we've got a big focus on the mixing of data scientists, ML engineers with developers and IT. Enterprises are starting to level up AI. It's no longer just one little cluster of people doing pilot projects. Now they're they're trying to integrate this stuff. And as it turns out, that means you need to get teams to work together. You need developers, you need oh, machine yeah. learning people to actually be on the same page and not just be in totally separate rooms doing little spin-off projects. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on as as you see that happening in the enterprise and as you feel it from within a scale up. You guys have really hired a lot of data scientists over the, the history of data robot. What do you see as the biggest hurdles and challenges in getting those two parties to become a productive team? Yeah, I think CIOs are getting more involved primarily because of the integration of like large language models. And these are such big purchase decisions and such big builds and with such complexity that it's no longer like a data scientist team sitting in a corner, right? Hmm. The challenges I see are really, they come from two different perspectives, right? So data scientists, rapid experimentation, they want to kind of prototype in notebooks, move fast. You know, they say their job is done earlier than an IT org would say it's done. IT wants to have some stability and processes, right? Because they're used to saying, I want to fire up a SQL DB and this is the schema that I need and this is the security I need. That's very linear and that's different than a data scientist. So two things you're touching on. One is the C-level involvement. The second is just the mentality differences. I'd love to drill it down on both of these if we could. So sure. we're certainly seeing Gen AI and LLMs become a C-suite thing. Unfortunately, yeah. I've seen this in the past with technology yeah. I was less excited about, like the chatbot wave five, six years ago, right? Oh, it was like, well, are we... Chatbots are, for sure. And this is, we're <laughs> thankfully, we're into a wave that has, I think, a greater amount of promise in terms of capability than, than that previous little goofy wave. But it's a similar dynamic of like the board saying, hey, w what are you doing with Gen AI? And the board doesn't really understand it yet, by the way, but they're asking. And so there's a little bit of this top-down heat you're also saying there's maybe a bit of bottom-up necessity of C-level because it, these LLM purchases are a different thing than let's yeah. let's well, buy a little corner case. Like, what are the dynamics there for you? Yeah, yeah no, it's a, it's a great call out. So I do, you know, those of us with gray beards and technology, we know and have seen some of these hype cycles. To your point, though, I think this could be markedly different. We're already seeing some productivity gains in enterprise with with limited use cases. What I would say is, the C-level people, and they're promising the board, hey, I'm going to sprinkle some AI on it. And then, you know, they'll sign an, an executive sponsor, CIO, CDO. 
the bottoms up version of that is data scientists love shiny toys, right? And so they are definitely in notebooks. They're definitely exploring this technology. But we've had meetings with CIOs and they didn't realize until more people were in the room from their own organization that they have something like six different vector databases flying around that data scientists have fired up, you know, Chroma and WeV8 and Pinecone and because they're all experimenting, right? And that becomes a nightmare for an organization like IT that wants security and process, right? And so yeah. you kind of have this, this bottoms down coming from a place of not necessarily knowing, but making promises and bottoms up where you have people that are knowledgeable, but more experimental in their approach to things. There's a, a major cultural dynamic there. And, and that feels like a bit of friction. When it comes to the CIO being more involved, these, these LM purchases being bigger, are there frictions with that too? Like sometimes we see C-level comes down and they know the buzzword but they don't know how to realistically ask for it to turn into value. And it's not because they're dumb people. It's just like, I don't know anything about French pastries. If they became cool and I wanted to know about them and I ordered one, I'd probably sound a little bit silly. And that's kind of what's happening to these very experienced people who just, they don't have the fluency in the tech. Are there challenges also with this wave of question asking and maybe demand for kind of what are we doing? Are we innovating here? Are we getting left behind here from that top down? Are there, are there downsides to that that you're seeing? Yeah, well, let's first start by saying French pastries are cool. They are delicious. That's true. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie about that. But what I'll say is, you know, there's this meme of, I don't know, the not very bright guy from an old show called Community that I use on slides. And it says, I'm not sure what GPT 3.5 is. And at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Right. And so you get a, a little bit of that when it comes to sea level. She or he may be discussing at the highest level, 50,000 foot view, read something in the journal about it different story altogether to say, what's the tech stack I need? And what's the what's the use case that I'm chasing here, right? And so we do a lot of training at the exec level. So for instance, I'll do training and say, you know, we're talking about vector embeddings. Well, that's a foreign concept. Well, let's talk about it as serial numbers. And we're measuring this word serial number to this word serial number, right? And we'll, we throw up on some slides. And so you can see kind of how these sentences are actually created and where it can go wrong, right? And I think that kind of level-setting, non-mathy, conceptual way of explaining LLMs is very helpful for C-suite. Of course, you wouldn't do that for a data scientist or a technician. They already know that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is, I guess it almost feels like it's building on what you said before about the cultural differences between the the data science and the IT orgs. Is that then you also have a language difference between sort of people that are AI fluent and people who aren't. So there's like, there's cultures, there's levels of understanding, but they all ultimately would need to collaborate for this stuff to be productive. You know, I, I think really think about like the infra hardware layer, the modeling layer and the consumption layer, the kind of those three layers of a build. The infrastructure, you need IT, right? They're going to choose the GPUs, they're going to choose the servers and that sort of thing. The modeling layer, you need to have an integration of saying, well, are we you know, going to create our own model, use an existing foundation model, fine-tune a model, use a RAG model. That interaction between just those first two layers, super important, right? And then the interaction between your middle layer, the modeling layer, and the consumption layer, the application layer, again, make sure that you pick the right use case. And how do you do that? Well, you have to have an interaction between the top two of those layers. So, I, you know, I try and tell people it needs to be like an interdisciplinary approach. Know where it fits in the process and is this technology the right technology for it? 
And if that's the case, then you start backing into what's necessary. Don't just follow some tutorial and have a command line thing sitting, you know, a command line interface as a data scientist, because that's not going to help the org. Yeah. And I guess in terms of where we're hearing from our audience, the org starts to feel the pain when we're, we're not we're not being cross-functional in a way that ends up being productive it is in the productivity and even the retention of of our devs and our data scientists you know we're we're paying these smart people from Carnegie Mellon and Stanford to hop in here and add value when these cultures <laughs> when these cultures don't mix when these other things don't mix we're not getting work done or or we have people that are here but they're churning out not just for higher pay, but maybe just because they know they're not getting anything done and that's not exciting for them. Their friends are all tweeting about the cool stuff they're pushing live at Stripe or whatever, and, and they don't they don't want to hang out here anymore. What have you seen in terms of the challenges for making kind of the devs and, and ML engineers happy as this culture dynamic tries to fit in above their heads? I mean, what have been the hurdles for them? We're going to get into the solutions in a second, but I'm interested in the frictions that you've seen in the scale up in the enterprise side there. Yeah, I think there's really two things that I've observed. One is politics. Because it's such a hot topic and so exciting, people want to be seen as being the vanguard within their organization. They might step on toes or use sharper elbows than necessary when it should be a everyone come together because these, these things are hard to do. So I see some of the politics. Mm-hmm. I think that's an organizational change. I think that's something that needs to be addressed. The other that you mentioned on retention, I think that even goes back to like what I call good old-fashioned AI, right? Like your traditional ML. I think I read that average tenure of a data scientist is something like 19 months. And there are builds that take six to eight months to get one model in production. Oh, yeah. And if that's the case, you know, I might get two models out of a out of a data scientist before they leave. Right. And if they leave midway through a project build, then they might walk out the door with some knowledge and I have to start all over and I have a delay with hiring a new data scientist. Right. So the retention piece is a perennial problem what was it, Harvard said it's the sexiest job of the last decade for data yeah, science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And now now you have like even more because now now it's not just I'll leave for the next most company that'll pay me the most. It's now about the opportunity cost of I want to work with the new and shiny. If you're not going to let me experiment and build with large language models, then I'm out of here. Oh, man. And that's tough because there was a previous podcast in this series that touched a little bit on this, but there's almost this tension of we got to let them play and stuff, I guess. But at the same time, like, geez, I hope we get something live that like recuperates, <laughs> recuperates the cost of this team. Right. It's sort it's like, it's like, you know, if I'm Google and I'm fighting over certain talent, okay, I gotta, I gotta make sure you can get a strawberry milkshake on the way in the door and I can, you know, have your hair get cut while you're writing code. And I can, you know, wax your car while you're working or so, you know, you got to throw in all these kind of extraneous things. That's an interesting dynamic. I think that there's the Pareto principle though, right? So you have, have your technicians work on 80% proven use cases and 20% what is the, what is the far afield? And that both keeps them engaged and also helps you integrate. A lot of this tech is very nascent, right? It is. But there are salt problems that deliver value you know, demand forecasting, customer propensity modeling, cross-sell, upsell. Those types of use cases are known, they're low risk. Those are the types of things you want your organization working through at least 80% of the time. I guess we got to go let them play. I actually am in favor for some of that because if they don't play and have interest, they're going to miss out on the new thing, right? Like yeah. large language yeah. models for a long time. But if you say, no, you can't, you always have to build customer propensity models they're not going to know how it could integrate. 
Got it. Okay, so you're saying, hey, yes, it's a dynamic where you almost have to permit it just for retention's sake, but also, hey, let's think about the upside of this. If this is the dynamic, let's let them experiment in ways that hopefully can spin back into some really cool ways in the business and treat it like 80-20. Well, it's focused. You don't get to just screw around. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. focus, even, you, you know, one of the, and, and I would also add one of the things I loved when I worked at Liberty Mutual, they had this thing called a data science professional resource group, DSPRG. Every other year, they would get people together internally that are technicians, whether they're data scientists, machine learning engineers, backend devs, whatever. And they would have like poster sessions. Here's the cool thing. My department, I'm a data scientist cool. and legal, we worked on. Here's, you know, something in marketing that we worked on. You get some cross pollination there. But I think even if you don't get the sharing of best practices, what you get is like an excitement and people feel valued. And I think that helps with retention. Yeah. So, okay. So we're getting into the solution side of things. So we talked a little bit about the challenges and you mentioned a little bit of how we need to think about the cultural hurdles here. These developers and kind of ML engineers, this is a big focus for this series. You're, you're talking about this dynamic of, hey, let's plan for the Pareto, make the experimentation be stuff that's focused. Maybe even, I love this idea that you're mentioning, maybe even incent it to be focused because if you present it at this cool session, maybe that's even a way to kind of you know, show off a little bit, but it's because it's something that could have a cool impact on the business as well. What are the other things for you in terms of a good experience for new ML engineers who land somewhere? They've, they want to play with the newer tools and there's a way to do that in a focused way that maybe adds to the value of the business, maybe helps to educate everybody else. That's a great benefit too. What are the other keys to allowing them to kind of play well with regular, you know, developers and, and with IT and be productive and, and also stick around and not have kind of retention problems. What are, the, what are the other things that for you are like important areas for leaders to focus on? You know, I, I would say it's about creating a culture of integration and a culture where it's okay to fail. Building machine learning algorithms is an iterative process. You're going to build 50 or 100 models before you choose one for production. If I'm a new MLE, I'm straight out of college, I've learned it one specific way where the data is perfect and that's just not how it is, right? So I'm always a fan of getting your machine learning engineers embedded cross-functionally. And what that means is like, go see the call center operation where the data is made, right? And you, you start to learn from that and work directly with a seasoned backend engineer who's going to teach you how to write good unit tests, right? Because you, you'll have some good knowledge because you're out of school, but like you're not seasoned in the way that we need you as an organization. So I'm a big fan of kind of that hey, for six months, let's rotate you through different places. And I know there's a resource constraint to doing so and there's a cost to doing it. But if you can get them involved in different parts of the business, where the data is made, where IT actually writes and performs unit tests before something goes into production, that type of like rotational first six months or so, I think is very valuable. It shows you're investing in them and they become better because of it. I dig it. Last question here will be on, sure. I guess, the technical and tool side related to that. The, the idea of embedding them more thoroughly in the organization. When you were talking about that stuff out loud, I was like, man, I, I feel like this is far from the norm right now in terms of the experience oh, yeah. for most of these people to, to really, that, that embeddedness happens in such weird half steps as opposed to like a, a guided tour through the business and the things you need to understand and the other team members you're collaborating with and, and building something with. So that feels like an actionable insight for the people tuned in is think about what that walkthrough should be for for your new team members who are on the ML AI side. From a technical and tool standpoint, are there any things for you that are the biggest points of frustration for 
developers and and for for kind of ML engineers that are trying to work together, whether it's how they're collaborating, whether it's searching and fixing their own code, whether it's how code is reviewed, what are the friction points that do affect productivity and and retention from a kind of a, a tools standpoint of of these team members? Because we've we've heard a bunch of really interesting points come up here, but I'd love to know what comes top of mind for you. I think the industry is really standard on you know Git for version control. Atlassian and Jira for tickets, that sort of thing. So I don't see it so much as like tooling from a software development perspective. Where I think there could be friction is like you have a lot of sprawl right now in Mm. terms of what specific tool. So, you know, by my last count, there's 300 LLMs out there. There's 17 vector database options. There's, you know, any number of notebooks that you could use. And so like if I'm Let's say, Dan, you are the consumer and I'm like your LLM dev. Yep. And you know, you're gonna trust me to make certain choices. And then other other people come by and they might make completely different choices for their vector database and their large language model. And so what does governance look like? How do we centralize and standardize some of those processes? To be honest, I don't have the answer to it. I think yeah. there's this AI sprawl that's happening and organizations are trying to just figure that out still. Got it. Okay. So an earmark for the listener is Think about sprawl. Ask yourself maybe if it's happening a little bit too much. Think about if there's some governance, best practice processes you can put in place to prevent too much of it before it gets unwieldy. Imagine you're in a world where you have one use case for large language models that might be text summarization. Well, you could get away with a very simplistic, you know, mosaic 7 billion parameter model. That's small, right? And you might be able to use a smaller like Chroma vector database. But then you're in marketing, you have another large language model where you need it to be very creative and very accurate. Okay, well, now I need a much larger model like Llama 2, or maybe I'm using a paid service like Bedrock or something, right? And so how do you manage all that sprawl? I think it's very hard. Yeah. So maybe a takeaway for people tuned in is be prepared to wrestle with this seriously because it doesn't feel like it's slowing down. The number of possible tools that can arrive in dark corners of your business is not not a number that's going to be smaller in six months. Yeah. What I tell people is like, focus on interoperability as you're building, because Gartner says there's no clear winner today in this type of new world of generative AI. And if there's no clear winner today, you don't, if you go down a path using one model, you're going to end up with a bunch of tech debt. Yeah. Okay. Got it. That's a nice crystal point to sort of wrap up on is bear that best practice in mind and sort of Hold that in your head as things start to sprawl as they inevitably continuously will. Ted, super glad to be able to have you back with us. Thank you so much for being able to share some of your insights on the dev side. Awesome, Dan. Have a good one. Before we close out today's episode, which was sponsored by Pieces, I thought it might be helpful to point out a few other elements of Emerge content where Ted is prominently featured. Also pieces of content that are just relevant to this conversation, which includes Ted's appearance on our AI and financial services podcast, discussing alternative data management approaches for financial services. Also live now on the Emerge.com front page, is an article summarizing a conversation between Ted and Pieces CEO and co-founder Savo Knott discussing generative AI adoption challenges from a data perspective. So check that out as well. 
Also, don't forget to check out Savo's appearance on the AI and Business podcast from October 26th. That episode is titled Solving Software Development Challenges with AI. Now that I've given you sufficient homework, class is dismissed and I'll leave you all to it. Just kidding. On behalf of Daniel Fagella, our CEO and head of research, as well as the rest of the Emerge team, thank you so much for joining us today and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business podcast.